You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a corporate meeting every day, and there was teaching, like what's happening here. It was a big group, 3,120 to be exact. But then it says, and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. You go down to verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was the corporate gathering, but you keep reading. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Fellowship in the church is so important, and it's a topic discussed in the Bible frequently. You aren't made to live your Christian life alone. God created the church to be a community, a place to gather to learn, but also to find family. And in his message today, Pastor Danny will remind you that this means you need to get involved. It's not a community of takers, but of mutual giving and receiving. When you take the time to invest in your church family, you'll reap ample benefits from it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. First John chapter two. And even before I teach this section of scripture, I want you to know I long to be more like Jesus. I know you do too. Uh, but a passage like this, wow, it's challenging, it's convicting, and feel like you have so far to go. At least that's the way I feel. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. If you don't, maybe you will after this. But verse three is where we left off. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I mean, what a straight shooter John is. I mean, he just lays it right out there, doesn't he? Wasting no words. Right after I became a Christian, a lot of my aunts and uncles were at my house, and I was thinking about this, and uh, it hit me last service that I think they were there because I had just become a Christian. They wanted to see if it was real. Uh, See what I look like now. And uh, my grandmother, a lot of you might know, practically raised me, and uh, uh, she lived with my mother and I and my brother. She had seven kids of her own and three adopted. She had two husbands for a brief amount of time, and both uh, both died prematurely, and she spent the majority of her life as a single mom raising those 10 children. Uh, You talk about stories of faith. She passed her faith on to me. She and my mother prayed me into the kingdom. And so our house was kind of the hub of all the relatives coming to visit because my grandmother lived there. And uh, right after I became a Christian, I'll never forget, like it was yesterday, a lot of my aunts and uncles at the house. And I remember my Uncle James and my Uncle Ed. They were having a discussion. It was really an argument, but I'm going to be kind and say it was a discussion. And it was on whether or not you could know 
uh, whether you're saved, whether you're saved. Could you know you're saved? And I remember as I listened, as they're going back and forth, my Uncle James turned to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. You might want to take a peek at it. John says there, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And you'll hear things like that throughout this study. If you ever have somebody doubting their salvation, uh, 1 John's a pretty good place to send them to. Say, go read 1 John. Because he said that was the motivation the Holy Spirit laid on his heart for writing this little letter, that you may know that you have eternal life. And of course, again, he doesn't, he doesn't hold back. Again, we know we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, we're going to go to several verses. I'm going to try not to go too fast. You've got to be alert. You ought to be alert every time, but especially today. And I'm going to go to different verses and hopefully in a constructive way. But 1 John chapter 3, take a quick look there. Verse 17 If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Uh, Here's what James says on that point. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? In other words, is that genuine? Is that real saving faith? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. I'm thinking about you. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You're on real shaky ground if you can't look at your own life uh, and at least see some kind of action that accompanies what we claim to believe. And I'm including myself, any of us. Here's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus saying this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Pretty clear. Now, back in 1 John, listen to how he continues, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. The word complete is the idea of a progression. It's a growing thing. Progression is made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I couldn't help but title the message walking as Jesus did. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean sinless perfection because he's still today. He's the only sinless one. All right. He's the only sinless one, so we're not talking about sinless perfection. So what does it mean to walk as Jesus did? 1 John chapter 4, right in the middle of verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us. There it is again. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. I think it's safe to say, just based on those verses, walking as Jesus did is walking in love. What it is. Walking as Jesus did is walking in love. 
Here's what he said in John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Same chapter, verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. I'm going to throw something at you here. And if you'll hear this, and if it's you that needs to hear it, and I know there's more than one that needs to hear it, if you'll do something about it, it'll revolutionize your Christian life, and then you will take a step in allowing God to revolutionize his church and for his church, this church, to be everything he wants it to be. You can't do this. Listen to me carefully. This is impossible unless you become relational. It's impossible. You can't do it just attending church. You can't do it without getting involved. You can't do it without getting involved in such a way that you not only get involved in ministry, but you get involved relationally. There are a lot of great ministries here. Two of the greatest ministries I think that God has raised up uh, through this fellowship is the men of arms and the women of heart. You talk about a practical way to reach out in love. You can't get more practical than that. Somebody has a baby and you take meals and help provide for them. Somebody has somebody who dies in the family and we take meals and we reach out and do very practical things. The men of arms. I can't think of two more practical ministries. I don't know how many women signed up last service. There were 11 last night. I told them last service, I hope there's 110. I hope there's so many that sign up that we, that we're so well taken care of as a body. We're loving one another that we have to look for ways to go outside of the fellowship to reach out. Listen, listen, listen. You can't do this. I can't do this unless we become relational, unless we get involved. And if all you've been doing, look, you could have been here for two weeks, you could have been here for two months, you could have been here for 20 years. But if all you're doing is attending church, you can never do this. It's impossible. Are you with me? What a great way. Let me read. Acts chapter 2, that early church, remember 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost. And here's what it says about those people, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a corporate meeting every day, and there was teaching, like what's happening here. It was a big group, 3,120 to be exact. But then it says, and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. You go down to verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was the corporate gathering, but you keep reading. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's why we believe in home groups. We call them life groups. We've called them all kinds of things over the year. They're the same thing. Listen, it's different. It's a different atmosphere to come here to a classroom for something, and that has its place, and to go and sit in somebody's house or apartment or wherever it is. It's just a totally different atmosphere. You get to know each other in those settings. So that's, that's the only way this can be lived out, to get involved in ministry, to get involved relationally. Now, back to the text. 1 John 2, look at verse 7. This gets so interesting. Now, you listen up to this. This, this is so interesting. Dear friends, verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This whole command is the message you have heard. But then he says in verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, that's Jesus, and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. How can it not be a new command and it be a new command? Leave the text for just a minute. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6.5. And love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, those are what Jesus said are the two greatest commandments in all of the law. He said every other commandment hangs on those two. Love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. So it's not new to love. They've had it for years and years and years and years in the law. It's not new in that way. That's what John's getting at. So how is it new? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I could read a lot of verses here. Uh, I'm just going to read a few because Jesus is saying things like, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You've been taught this, but I say to you. Pick it up, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That's from the Old Testament. And the purpose of that mainly was when somebody had a crime that they didn't want to go overboard in punishing it. You want punishment equal to the crime. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's the idea. But he goes on. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I got to live that out a few years ago. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You keep reading. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the religious leaders were teaching them. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the only living examples on the planet, at least where Jesus was, uh, when he came in his first coming, were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. And they purported to be examples for God. But the truth, the truth is, they were proud, self-righteous, religious bigots. They looked down on tax collectors and sinners. They would not befriend them. They would not associate with them. And though they claimed to know God, they thought they were examples for God, they were in reality, listen, the opposite. How could I use such a strong word? Jesus said, you of of your father, the devil. So in other words, these religious leaders, they manifest more the character of hell than they did heaven. And with that kind of religious climate, all right, imagine this, enter Jesus. And he not only tells them, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and then he lived it out. He lived it out. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, that's Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amazing verse. It gets even more amazing when you think about, well, Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And yet Jesus said in John 6.46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Now that statement 
uh, on the surface sounds like it contradicts kind of like, you know, John here, what he's saying, I'm not giving you a new command, but I am giving you a new command. And he says, nobody has seen the Father. And yet in John 14, listen, here's what he said. He's telling his disciples he's about to leave. They're like, where are you going? Uh, And he tells them, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and receive you, and you can be with me. All right? You pick it up in chapter 14 of John, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's not talking about literally seeing the Father in all of his glory and majesty, which we'll all see him like that one day. What he's saying is, you want to know what the Father's like? If you've seen me, you know what the Father's like. Because he's just like me and I'm just like him. I'm in him and he's in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what God is like. You know what God is like in living, breathing flesh. Truth and love had never before been perfectly personified in a human being until Jesus showed up on the scene. And now the world can know, catch this, the world can know what God is like in living, breathing flesh. All you got to do is look at the life of Jesus and you know what God is like in living, breathing flesh. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. You jump down to verse 14, and the word became flesh. Wow. But if you think that's the greatest mind blower, Isaiah said, chapter 7, one of his names will be Emmanuel, which is God with us. That's not the greatest mind blower to me. Go back to 1 John, chapter 2, verse 8. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. There's the mind blower. And you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I'll tell you what I think that means in just a second. Jesus said about us, here's what he said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What an amazing thing that we have the privilege of letting the world see what God is like in living breathing flesh. We're not talking about sinless perfection, but if we are being conformed into his image, if we're walking as he did, what does that mean? It means we walk in love. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Practically speaking, I'm convinced, I'm convinced of what that means. You're the light of the world. And we give evidence And we, by our very lives, are meant to point to a day, listen, a day, chew on this one, a day when we will live in a world, there is nothing in that world but love. There are no arguments, there are no divisions, there's no racism, there are no denominations, there are no political parties, nobody will ever get in a fight, nobody will ever hate anybody. Nobody will ever not like somebody. Hey, come on. If you were to raise your hand, if I were to say, is there anybody around, even in the church, that you don't really like? Oh, you love them, but you don't like them. 
We're going to live in a world that's absolutely, completely filled with love, and there won't be anything else. It's all love. That's what that verse has to mean. The darkness is passing, the darkness of this present world, where there's such a lack of love. And we're the light. You're the light of the world. And we give evidence that there's going to be a day when there'll be nothing but love and the world we'll live in. That's just, I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. 1 John 3, 2, one of the first verses I memorized as a young Christian. Brethren, we don't know what we shall be, but when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like him. Now, we'll never be God. Don't misunderstand that. We'll never be God. There's only one God. (laughs) But we're going to be like God. In love and character, we're going to get new bodies. We're going to have to deal with sin anymore. It's just going to be absolutely incredible. We're going to be like Jesus. You know what the greatest evidence of Christianity is? True Christianity. I'm talking true Christianity. The greatest evidence. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You let that sink in. Listen, it hit me fresh. Not how many verses you can quote. Not how sound your theology is. That's important. That's not the greatest thing. Not how big the church is. Not how nice the building is. It's not what God says is the greatest witness. No, the greatest evidence of true Christianity is this right here. Right here. That's it. Now, in the closing few moments, let's dissect Jesus and his personification of love. And here are some items that I've come up with biblically. First of all, full of compassion and mercy. Matthew 9 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you something. That is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's not biblical uh, to, to just say, well, I feel for you. Oh, I feel so bad about your situation. Psalm 116, verse 5 says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. James said, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, I want you to go back with me for just a minute to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, remember a few minutes ago we read from it, expert in the law comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. But then you pick it up. That's not the end of the, the encounter. You pick it up, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? In reply said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, implying it's a Jewish man. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest a Jewish priest, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You would think the guy that's going to stop and help the dude is the priest. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, most least likely person, because Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with one another in this culture. As he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think 
was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. Thanks for tuning in. John the Apostle had a unique relationship with Jesus, and it shows in his writing. He knew Jesus in a personal way, and John knew him to be God. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's real in this world. But as John wrote, Jesus is the real deal. As we continue to journey through the book of 1 John, evaluate your own relationship with Jesus. Do you know him in a deep and personal way? Do you know him to be the real thing? If you're struggling with this, spend time in the Word and ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. We also encourage you to keep seeking Him, and we'll continue to pray for you as you grow in your faith. Would you also be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost too. Thank you so much for praying. If you're looking for a church home and live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we want to connect with you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We also live stream our services. Find out more at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. And with that, we hope you'll join us again next time to learn more from the book of 1 John right here on The Living Word.